All right, well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10 this morning. It's kind of a, a launch point for, for today's message, but we'll be all around the Bible. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Seth Murphy. I'm one of the elders here at Living Hope Columbus. And I sound kind of boomy. Do I sound boomy or no? Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Seth Murphy, but um, one of the elders here at the church. I'm excited to be with you as we continue our series. We're looking at our salvation and how we can have assurance in that. And if you were here last week, you, you probably heard Joe mention my name about five times saying I was going to answer all of the questions that you might have on <laughs> the sin and the believer's battle with sin. Um, so I'm going to do my best to do that this morning. If there's still questions, you can certainly ask Joe about that. All right. But why don't you go and stand with me as we uh, read God's Word this morning. Again, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And God's Word says this. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank you that it is a two-edged sword, able to cut to the deepest part of us, Lord. Father, we pray that you just open up our hearts and our minds this morning to receive what you have for us. And God, we just pray that after today, we just have a, a greater assurance in our salvation. Or Father, that if we don't know you, God that, God, that your spirit will work in us to just draw us towards you, Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when we address the, uh, the question of how can I know I am saved, often the reason we doubt that is because we still sin. We still trespass God's laws. We still trespass his commands. And this can often lead us to question, am I really saved? No doubt many of us in this room have struggled with this question in our walk with Jesus. Some may even be struggling with that today. But last week, Joe made it abundantly clear that we are saved when we believe in Jesus that we believe he is the Son of God, that he died, he rose again, and that he is now Lord of our lives. That is the truth of God's word. But even though we know God's word is truth, and it clearly states that, and states what we must be do to be saved, when we sin, doubt can invade our minds. We can have our insecurities and cause us to question whether we've been truly saved or not, even though we do believe in Christ. Now, that isn't to say that someone doubting their salvation isn't warranted, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says to examine yourselves, to test whether you are in the faith. And there should be an evidence, an outgrowth of a saving faith in our lives. In James 2.18, it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So we can see that there should be an evidence, an outgrowth, a fruit of God's work in our lives. And God's word is clear that he wants us to know that he has saved us, and just as importantly, that he will never let us go. In 1 John 5, 13, Job started from this last week, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Or in 1 John 3, 24, it says, the one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And what is the command? Well, verse earlier, it says that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. I love what Jesus says in John 10. It says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. 
no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we can see that there is an assurance that we can have as believers. God wants us to know that we are his, that he is faithful, and that he will bring us ultimately into his glory. But then again, there's still this issue and question of our sin. That's what we're going to talk about today. So how do we understand the fact that we still sin even after coming to faith in Christ? How is it as a believer, as a new creation in Christ Jesus, we can still struggle with our sin? And then how do I know that I'm still saved right, even when I do sin? So we're going to look at that in God's Word. Before we get to that, though, always a quick reminder of why we need to be saved. Joe covered it last week, but just um, I'll briefly touch on it. The truth is our condition is that we're completely hopeless and helpless in our sin. We are spiritually dead, unresponsive, and there's nothing that we ourselves can do to change that. Because of our sin, we are enemies of God. Uh, we cannot pay our way out of this, con- this condition. In fact, the outcome, the wages of our sin is death, as it says in Romans 6. And the sins we commit must be paid for, but we cannot do that. And the reality, and Joe touched on this last week, is that we're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Either we're going to be in the presence of God through our faith in Christ Jesus, or completely separated from him in darkness forever apart from Christ. So again, what must we do to be saved from this? Come to faith in Christ Jesus and repent of our sins. And with that, we are saved then from the just penalty due to us because of our sin. Christ takes that on for us. This makes us just in God's sight. This means that his righteousness is now my own. Romans 4.25, it says that he, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified, meaning that we are now declared righteous before God in Christ. God sees our sins as forgiven, the righteousness of Christ as my own, and we see that we are now just or morally righteous in God's sight, having peace with him, no more enmity and no longer an enemy. And this standing before God cannot be lost. It is once for all time, right? We saw that just a second ago in John 10. No one will be able to snatch us out of his hands. We are eternally secure, and this is a miraculous work of God. And I say all this to stress that, yes, this is a one-time event where we are justified, we are saved before his sight, but we need to understand that God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves and wait for our number to be called. Now that the saving work of the Holy Spirit is done in us, he will now continue to work in us, to sanctify us, and to bring us more into the character and image of Christ Jesus. And this is going to continue for the rest of our lives here on earth. He will continue that work in you. Philippians 1.6 says that I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He has started that work in you, and he will complete it. The first thing he did as part of that work is that he made you a new creation. And that's our first point this morning is that you are a new creation. And something that I was, as I was studying and preparing for this and something that struck out to me and something I want us to fully appreciate this morning is that when you come to faith in Christ, not only were you justified, you were made completely new. You were transformed, you were regenerated, and this was a needed act of the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus references this in John 3 where he says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You were physically born once here on earth. And you were spiritually born again when you come to faith in Christ. That, born, that word um, or that phrase, born again, means to be born from heaven, meaning that the new you, the new inner man, was born from heaven. So what happens to the old self? 
Well, the old self, the old you that was a slave to sin is no more. It was put to death and it was crucified with Christ. The you that was controlled by sin, that was controlled by the lust of the flesh is no more. And we now walk this earth a completely new person, with a completely new nature, with a completely new spirit on the inside. While our flesh remains here with us, since we do not have our new body or new flesh until we're with Christ again for eternity, our inner being, our souls, are completely made new. And to illustrate this, let's look at Romans chapter 6. So you have your Bible, go and turn with me there, Romans chapter 6. And I think this is a wonderful passage that illustrates just this um, miraculous and, and glorious reality of who we are now in Christ Jesus. So Romans chapter 6, and beginning in verse 4, it says this, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Now real quick, this isn't making water baptism any more than what it is. It's not describing that this is what you have to do in order to be saved, but what it is describing is what happens to you when you come to faith in Christ. You are immersed in Christ's death, his burial, and then when you are raised up with him, you are raised up into new life. And this is what we symbolize when we do water baptism. You show that you have faith in Christ, that you're partaking in his death and his resurrection, meaning your sinful death is completely immersed in his death, and out of that comes a completely new creation. So in verse 5, we read on, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. In verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because you know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And here's the key in verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Who you were is dead. Who you were was crucified with Christ. Look how the scripture describes this new reality as a believer. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. The, night, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5 says we're a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We've been given a new heart, according to Ezekiel 36, where it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Colossians 3 says we have a new self. Ephesians 4 says we're a new man. Uh, Revelation 2 says we have a new name. We are regenerated. We are reborn, as it says in John 3. 1 Peter 1 says, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's not that your old self was made better. It's not that it was just tweaked a little bit. You were completely transformed. You were completely made new. Ephesians 4 that the, says that the new self was one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. 
And because of this, we have died to sin. It has been made powerless and inoperative. That's why Paul said in Romans 6.11, right? Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This now means you have a new direction and a new focus. Your old self was a slave to sin. The wages and the fruit of that was death. But now you are a slave to God and his righteousness, the fruit of which is sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life, according to Romans 6.22. You are a new citizen of heaven, Philippians 1. You were born to this earth a sinner, and now you have been born of heaven, meaning that you have been made fit now to stand before the Father in eternity with Jesus. So we know that all that is true, that we're completely made new, but why do we still sin? That's our second point this morning, is that sin no longer reigns, but is still present. So if we are a completely new creation, if we are no longer slaves to sin, but to righteousness, then why do we sin? Why is it that when Paul says in Romans 6, we are crucified with him so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or rendered powerless, why does it say that and we still sin? Well, notice that it doesn't say that sin has been eradicated. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. Um, it doesn't say that I will never struggle with sin. We read to begin our uh, session today, 1 John 1, 8 and 10, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Yes, we are set free from the power and bondage of sin. Yes, sin no longer has dominion over us, but while sin no longer reigns over us, sin is still a resident in our flesh and in our mortal bodies. We see in Romans 6.12 that we should still expect some struggle, some opportunity to give in to sin. Paul says in verse 12 of Romans 6, therefore, right, pointing back to the first point that uh, we are now dead to sin and walk in newness of life. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Verse 13, it says, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. In Galatians 5.13, Paul says, do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So that Paul is showing us here that while our inner man, our souls were made righteous, your mortal bodies are still around and can still be entangled in sin. And we see this throughout the example. The classic example we always reference is David. We always pick on him. He always committed many sins, experienced the discipline of the Lord, yet he was a just believer who had faith in the promises of God. First Samuel 13 is referred to as a man after God's own heart. We see Peter denying Jesus three times after proclaiming that Jesus was the Holy One of God in John chapter 6. Sin is still an ever-present reality in the life of a believer. Jesus even tells us to ask for forgiveness on a daily basis in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. So Jesus obviously knew that we were still going to sin, sin against God, sin against each other, and fall into temptation. But thankfully now we have an advocate with the Father, and that's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's what it says in 1 John 2.1. But then again, why do we struggle? Well, we'll get to that here in Romans chapter 7. That'll be the next illustration we'll look at. Here's Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. And here we see Paul discussing the problem of sin in us and the struggle that all believers go through now. That now, even though we're still a new person, sin still resides in our flesh, in our mortal body, and causes us to sin. So beginning in verse 14, it'll also be on your screen here, Romans 7. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, meaning that it's holy, it's righteous, it's good, it's from God. Paul references that in verse 12. But he says, I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do. 
but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. We see that Paul's new nature is defending God's standard, and that when he sins, it's going against every fiber of his new creation now. He says, I hate what I do. I do not understand what I do. When I do what I do not want to do, I know that God's law is good. When he sins, it's running completely counter to the inner man. I'm sure many of us have, have experienced this as well, this same thing that Paul is expressing in Romans 7, right? You kind of step back and be like, why on earth did I do that? It's because of our flesh. It's because of our flesh. The sin is still a resident there. But I think what's important to note here is that here in Romans 7, Paul isn't expressing indifference or disinterest in the sin that he still commits. But he's st- instead, now Paul has this new nature, this new self in Christ, and he hates the sin he commits. He detests the things that his flesh still does. And it's really given us a picture of what our attitude now should be as a believer towards our sin. And we'll look at that a little bit more here in just a moment. But we read on in verse 17. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, meaning in my flesh, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I, want, now if I do what I do not want, I'm going to trip up on that, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me, meaning evil is close at hand. Evil is by my side. For my inner man, my new creation, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul's saying that his flesh has no ability to do the things that his spirit now wants him to do. Jesus even references this in Matthew 26, where he says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is our flesh, the corruptible body that Paul references in 1 Corinthians 15, or the outer person, the outer self, that is wasting away, being destroyed, 2 Corinthians 4. And this flesh is where our sin still has a base of operations to operate and to move in our thoughts, in our emotions, our wills, our physical members, our earthly mind, our fleshy self is still susceptible to sin. In Galatians 5.17, Paul says the same thing, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to one another so that you don't do what you want. This is why Paul says, I hate the things that I am doing. I don't understand the things that I'm doing. It's because the flesh is warring against his new inner man. Because there is a different law now, a different standard waging war in the parts of my body where there are opportunities to give in to sin and to be taken prisoner by it. One example as I was studying was found in James 3, speaking of our speech and what we say. In James 3, uh, verse 6, it says, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. 
Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 120, Lord, rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Out of the same mouth, the same mouth, we can bless the Lord and we can curse someone who is made in his image. This is the flesh rearing its ugly head, waging war against our spirit. And notice how Paul doesn't abdicate himself from, from his sinful actions in verse 24, right? He says, wretched man, I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Paul still understands that he is the one sinning, his depraved flesh. And when he says this body of death, rescue me from this body of death, there's this picture here that he's painting for us, of a tradition that was held in an ancient tribe near Tarsus where Paul was from. And they would tie the corpse of a murder victim to its murderer. And over time, the spreading decay of that, that corpse would, would slowly spread and, and infect the murderer and execute the murderer. It's kind of gross, right? But that's the picture that Paul is painting of us here. Our old self is still tied to us, right? It's really almost that we're stuck, we're incarcerated in this unredeemed, fallen, decaying, fleshly body until we're with Christ forever. And now that there is a new person on the inside of us, warring against that flesh, we have a new heart, a new man, we want out of it. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8.23 that not only creation, but we ourselves are groaning, sighing, we are grieving, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Or in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that we are groaning in this earthly tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. We're waiting for the glorious, incorruptible bodies that we will have when we are with Christ, when we are made like him. No longer will we be in the image of the man of dust, referring to Adam, or imperfect, corrupted but we will bear the image of the man of heaven, meaning Jesus. It will be incorruptible, perfect, spotless, immortal, and completely whole. But until that day, our flesh is still flesh, it's still fallen, and susceptible to sin. But now that we have the new man on the inside, we now have a new attitude towards sin. And we touched on that briefly right in the beginning here. One thing that was striking was Paul's attitude now towards sin. Because some may argue in this passage, actually, that Paul was speaking of an unregenerate person, an unsaved person, a non-believer, because how can someone born again actually struggle with this sin? But I think we can maintain that an unregenerate, unsaved person cannot have that kind of attitude towards their sin. They can certainly feel remorse or feel bad because something they did caused harm to someone, but how can they understand that their sin is a sin against a holy and righteous God? The truth is that they can't. Only a believer can understand what their sin is, and not be indifferent to it, not gloss over it, not brush it aside. Even Paul, a great man of faith, right in 1 Timothy 1, he says that Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the chief of. That was his attitude towards sin. That's the same attitude we should have now as believers. And that's our third point this morning, is the believer's new relationship to sin. It's interesting how Paul was always able to anticipate the question, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the question that was probably going to be posed when he said that you are dead to sin, that you're a new creation, that grace abounds all the more, right? It was probably something like this, right? So it's okay for me to sin, right? Grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So why not sin so that more grace may abound and more glory be given to God? Look how Paul answers this in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who die to sin still live in it? And that absolutely not is the strongest repudiation that one can give in the Greek language. 
essentially Paul is saying here, why would anyone even think that that is possible? He gives the same answer in Romans 6.15. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. The body ruled by sin has been rendered powerless so that you may no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what he said in verse 6. Verse 11, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So while sin is still present in our physical members, Paul reminds us that we can't go on practicing sin. You can't go on being enslaved and in bondage to the sins of your old self. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are now a slave to God and his righteousness. You are under new ownership. When you come to faith in Christ, you are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Romans 3.24 shows this. It says that those who believe in Jesus are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The imagery behind that word redemption is it comes from the ancient slave market where you would go and you would give the necessary ransom to free a prisoner or a slave. Jesus paid for you by shedding his blood on the cross. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6 echoes this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So what are we to do now? Romans 6, again, Paul gives this in verse 17. But thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching which you were handed over, meaning that you heard the gospel message and you believed, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. For just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and a greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in what? Sanctification. You offered your body to sin quite a bit before you came to Christ. Now that you were in Christ, you were to offer it to righteousness all the more. You are a new creation. You've been justified before God in Christ Jesus. You were sanctified, and now you are continually being sanctified. And in your sanctification, you're being separated from your sinful nature more and more and being made more into the image of Christ, being given his attributes, given his character because you're under God's ownership, because you now are a slave to righteousness. So you should offer, your God, offer yourself to God to use you as he pleases, to use you for his good works, to use you for his will, for his good pleasure. In Ephesians 2.10, we see, and it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And reading that after we read through Romans 6, we really should have a fresh understanding. We've been made new, a new creation, a new person, a new self, right? We are his workmanship. We are his creation, his new self, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God, through his Holy Spirit, is working in you, to bring these things about. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Or John 15, Jesus says, The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. God is working in us and through us to accomplish his will. But the key here we need to remember is that we're not completely passive in our sanctification. Paul says to offer ourselves. In Romans 12, he says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We need to actively pursue holiness. 
We need to be an active part of our sanctification. We need to actively separate ourselves from sin, to separate ourselves from the situations that might lead us into sin. Romans 12, Paul says, not conforming to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When he says transforms, he means to show your new inner man on the outside. In Ephesians 4, he says, take off your former ways and to put on the new self. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, but put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says he beats his body into submission. Ephesians 5, he says, be imitators of God. 2 Peter 1, he says, Jesus' divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. And because of that, we can make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge, self-control, endurance, and love. We are cooperating with God to bring these things about. It's not passive. It is active. We're cooperating now as this, I am complying with God's command because Jesus is Lord of my life. And as we are separated from our sin increasingly throughout our lives, the more we want to comply with his word, and the more we will want to pursue holiness, the more we will want to be made like Jesus. The more we will be separated from this world, the more we will separate ourselves from sin, the more our desires will be for him. Will we still sin? Yes, we will. James 3 says that all stumble in many ways. We started with 1 John 1, right? We say that if we have not sinned, we make God a liar. We know that's not true. We're still in our fallen bodies and walking in a fallen world, and we will still sin. But we can trust that he is working in us now to bring about a holiness, to bring about a more godly life. In Philippians, Paul gives this analogy of a runner in a race towards Christ's likeness as he pursues his goal of being more like him. Philippians 3.12, he says, Not that I have already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. When you come to faith in him, he takes a hold of you. John 10 no one will snatch him out, snatch you out of his hand. Because of that, we can make every effort to reach the goal of knowing him more and being made like him. Forget what lies behind and to keep pressing on. Hebrews 12 says to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus keeping our eyes on him, the source and the perfecter of our faith. Meaning that don't get bogged down with the person you used to be. Don't get bogged down with the sins that you've committed in your old life, with your old man. Right? Yes, we need to confess our sins. We need to ask for forgiveness of our sins. But know that now you have been made new, and your goal is to be more like Christ Jesus. Knowing that Christ has won the victory over sin. And because of his victory, you now walk in that same victory. So how do I know that I'm saved when I'm sinned? I suppose that was the main question today. <laughs> but, but what is the pattern of your life? That's the question to really ask yourself. What's the pattern of your life? What's the trajectory of your life? Are you making every effort to pursue Jesus in your life? Are you obeying his word? When you sin, do you confess it? Or are you stuck in the practice of it? Do you have the same attitude towards sin as Paul did in Romans 7? Or are you indifferent or disinterested in the holiness that now you are called to as a child of God? Those are simple questions with simple answers. 
But I think what we should see in our lives to different degrees, right? It's not that some per, one person may be further along in their walk with Christ than you, right? It's not about that. It's about what God is doing in your life personally. And you should see the outgrowth of that work and the fruit of his spirit at work within you. And if you're still unsure, ask him to show you. Go to his word and see if your life lines up with who you should be as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Because there is assurance there. There's hope there. We've already seen that he wants us to know. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the assurance that we can have in you. That God, even when we do sin, Lord, you are faithful to forgive us our sins when we do confess it. Lord, thank you for what your word says, that you will never let us go. Let us, let us run this life. Let us run this race with that hope. Let's run this life with what we know now to be true, God, just that we are a new person, God. You have made us completely new, God, and let us be an active participant in that, an active participant in our sanctification. And Father, as we sing, as we respond in song, Lord, just open up again our hearts and our minds, God. Just do a work, a mighty work within us, and just draw us closer to you, Lord. And I saw that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.